steps into it, pass is caught! Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! the unbelievable podcast i am bj Ardell. back here with my guy drew mahold and today we are talking about a 500 football team your minnesota vikings back to business at six and six and have a real opportunity here to make the postseason now that being said we do have to discuss what got them to the 500 mark and it wasn't the prettiest of victories uh, to say the least so uh drew and i will go through this vikings jaguars game um kind of the ins and outs, what went down. I mean, this was a wild ride. So we've got a lot to cover on that front, and then we'll finish up kind of with the playoff picture, your expectations, our expectations, um, and kind of uh, lean into what's going to be a very important game later on this week. So, um, all right, let's get started here. Let's start um, where we always do. Let's start with Kirk Cousins because um, I feel like he is kind of an embodiment of sort of this game and that um, – he played very, very well at some points in times, but there was also a handful of moments uh, where you're scratching your head, probably throwing things across the room, yelling at your spouse, something of that nature, um, which is kind of what this entire team did yesterday against Jacksonville. Right, yeah, I think okay, – I, I tweeted that I've never been less pleased with a Vikings win than I was yesterday, and I think, I think you can argue that the Vikings lose to 30 other NFL teams yesterday. And they just happened to play Jacksonville, which was just barely, uh, you know, a bad enough team to play worse than Minnesota. But uh, you're right about Kirk. Well, I always start with Kirk. And I, I think this is the worst game that he has played since the bye week, um, which you look at the box score, that's pretty good numbers, right? 305, three. Uh, he had the pick six allowed, which kind of kept Jacksonville really in the game. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I'm not about to pay, place blame on that play clearly there was miscommunication of some kind though right because i think he had um i think bradbury kind of went out there like it was a screen play but i I haven't seen a screen before where only one lineman goes out there plus dalvin kind of ran the route as if it was more of a turnaround an intended route versus a a screen kind of look for the ball so something happened there and ultimately that's on the quarterback to get everybody on the same page so that's going to be on kirk ultimately uh so that's kind of you know i'm going to put that on him he did come back, and I, I, the thing I like the most really is that he's targeting Justin Jefferson a lot, uh, a lot more, and feel it a lot more, and taking the shots down the field, especially now to Jefferson, uh, giving him chances in one-on-one situations. That's the kind of the big positive for me to take away from this game, for Kirk anyway, is that he's trusting Justin Jefferson more and more, um, and because that guy needs to get 10 to 15 targets every single game uh, at a minimum. So it looks, it's good that the Vikings are kind of going that way, and uh, that's – my quick, quick synopsis of Kirk Cousins, but I was, it was pretty meh overall to me. It just happened to be his volume stats went up because of how many plays the Vikings had because this game extended longer than it should have. So, so Cousins was fine yesterday, but Kirk Cousins was also like, he was all of what you like the, the, from all of the kind of the games that we've created this sample of what we, you know, think Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback. He did pretty much all of that within one game um, and the kind of the 
the part that sucks about that is that it was against the Jaguars, which is, you know, we expect him to have the, the, the efficiency and, you know, probably even the volume numbers against a team like Jacksonville. Um, you don't expect him to make the bonehead mistakes. And like you said, you know, there was a miscommunication there. It's probably on Dalvin Cook to a degree as well. It sounded like it was probably on Dalvin Cook. Um, but you're right, too. Like, you can't make that throw. If you got to sense the miscommunication. I don't even think that's possible. I'm asking the guy to be clairvoyant, and you can't be. So it's not fair, but it, it's is, just, it, it is. It is the quarterback's responsibility there. Like, exactly. clearly, and it's not like Dalvin was the only one who didn't get the right call. It, again, you don't see one offensive lineman going out for a screenplay right. uh, on a screen normally. You know, it's multiple. It's two, three linemen that are leaving their blocks to go block for the runner after he catches the ball. And there was only one. So something happened there where uh, you know, somebody got the wrong play call or a couple guys got the wrong play call. So that is ultimately on Kirk to make sure that, um, you know, is everybody's on the right, same page there. So that pick six is going to be on him, but. And really you um, could say the same, like really use the exact same analysis for the fumble too, because yeah, Dalvin cook probably was, did something yeah. wrong there. I think it was on him. Um, I it, like the statistics are going to place that on Kirk just for the record, by the way. Um, so when you're looking at the stats and you're not seeing a Dalvin fumble and you're seeing a Kirk one, I'm wondering what's going yeah. on. Like I did like three times yesterday. Well, if you have Dalvin cook in your fantasy team and you didn't get punished for that, it's because they gave it to Kirk cousins. <laughs> right. Right. So that's the, per- you know, again, it's a situation where we're really, you know, we can kind of define this team's performance by the performance of its, you know, two primary ball handlers in Kirk cousins and Dalvin cook, because both of those players were good enough. They were not efficient. Um, they were not at their best, but they had some moments that really sparked kind of the rest of this team to get it done, to get over the hump. But the hump, like you said, is the Jaguars this week. It's a very small hump. We're not talking about Tampa Bay, which is not a very week. uphill climb to get over the hump. Exactly. So my point is, is that they were good enough this week, which unfortunately doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't inspire a lot of, you know, hope or faith just on this one individual performance. It doesn't add yeah. anything. It doesn't really take anything away because they didn't lose. Um, because I've seen them play better recently, so I can kind of knock this off as, you know, an unefficient game, maybe a team that was looking on ahead a little bit, something like that, because they didn't lose. Just that's the one reason. Yeah. Ultimately, they get the tally in the win column. That's worth celebrating in itself because it gets you back to 500. It gets you back in a position where, you know, with the Cardinals losing, like we'll talk about, I'm sure, um, puts you in the postseason if the season season ended today. So does it really matter that Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook weren't at their very best? No, because I'm not taking – there's no major takeaways from it. I I didn't get anything one way or the other, and they won. So I'm cool with it. Now, that being said, if we're judging this individual game, this was a C performance from both guys. Both guys did not yeah. do enough to win on most nights. Yeah. I mean, against uh, Tampa Bay, for example, next week, that's not going to be not enough to win. Now, yeah. the one thing I've always said about Kirk is, like, you know, 90% of the time he's he's pretty darn good, right? He's accurate. When he gets time to throw, he, he throws absolute darts more often than not. But then the mistakes that he makes are so – uh, backbreaking and they have such a big impact. Like he makes them at the worst possible time. So in this game, the pick six, right? It's not just an interception. He throws a pick six. Um, it, at you know, the start the, of the, the half. Right. The Dalvin fumble isn't just a fumble. It's at, you know, the J- Jacksonville, what, four, three, two yard line when the fumble is committed. And again, these mistakes may or may not hit, be his fault. I don't have the football acumen to, to, or the inside knowledge to know 
uh, who was at fault in each of these scenarios. But clearly Kirk had the ball and then the ball ended up in Jacksonville's possession on that right. play. So right. he's going to have uh, be at fault. So that's the thing about Kirk. And like you said, this game kind of, you know, summed up everything about the Kirk Cousins experience a little bit where, you know, there was the key mistakes that really swung the game and the win probability, so to speak. Uh, there was some key moments, some great throws, dimes, uh, you know, the couple throws to Jefferson, really nice couple throws to Thielen, some comeback, comeback route, the touchdown throw to Thielen was super nice. Um, so it's all of it in, into one. And then the result there is you kind of beat a bad team, not very handily, but uh, overall, you know, kind of get this one out of the way and hopefully Kirk returns to that kind of, post bye week form that we've seen the past few weeks prior to this uh, moving forward against some tougher competition. Absolutely. So you look at what the receivers did. I think the output was you know, above average to say the least from uh, both Jefferson and Thielen. Um, didn't really get anyone else involved. Uh, it was nice to see CJ Ham score, of course, but um, again, there's not much predictive value from that. So not a whole lot of takeaways. Right. It's just nice to see the big guy get in there as a fullback, especially. So uh, the rest of the offense really, there isn't a whole lot more to write home about. I mean, Jefferson, I think we I did not like it. how many carries Dalvin Cook, well, how many touch, touches he handled. And I, I know it's part of it is just how many plays the Vikings ran because of how the game extended itself. But Dalvin Cook is your, you know, 12, what, 12 to $15 million per year running back. Right. Um, that's a guy you need for the future and you need to save his, the hits he can take, right? Giving him 30, I think it was 32 carries and like six catches or something like that. Uh, that's too much in on one Sunday, uh, especially for a guy who has some sort of an injury history. Uh, and I'm not, you know, and I've Delvin said before to the media, like I, you know, I want to take as many hits as I can. Like I want the ball, you know, 50 times a game. If I, if it comes to that, like he wants the ball, but that's just the running, the nature of the running back position, you're risking a long-term injury. Every time he touches the ball, you want to minimize that. So I would have liked to see more Abdullah, more Mike Boone in this game, even with Madison out. But of course, it sounds like Dalvin Cook was okay health-wise. Uh, that's just something moving forward that I would pay attention to is limiting Dalvin Cook in the, um, the touches that he gets because that's the guy you want on your team ready to play every single week, and there's, you know, of course, risk with every carry he gets. Right. 32 carries, six receptions, another three targets that were fell incomplete. Could have been up to 41 touches for Dalvin Cook, even in an overtime so that's a game. Very, that's a very busy afternoon. Yeah, that's a little excessive, even in an overtime game. Um Justin Jefferson, of course, you know, I mean, we could spend the rest of the show talking about his excellence. Um, the route running is phenomenal. The way he broke away um, and created kind of space for himself on that. Jeez, uh, I don't even know how to describe the route. It's basically went like to the a, center of the field and went out or back, came back out. To kind of like an side. extended pivot route almost like. Yeah, something like that. Um, it was, you know, 15 yards, down, 12 yards downfield or whatever. And he the separation he creates on just one hard plant into the ground is exceptional for you know especially for anyone in the league but for a player at his age it's just it's it's starting to become like he does little things too like he's he's like it's for his head like he's looking back at the quarterback and yeah, he yeah. Swips, he swings his hips so quick and it's just everything the little things the little details that like adam thielen has been doing for a few years to sell routes you, he's already doing did you watch uh did you happen to catch any of that chiefs uh broncos game the, mm-hmm. the late night okay so did you do you pay any attention to jerry judy at all during that game yeah a little bit. I mean, what I, there, I mean, what there again. was to pay attention to. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my point, my point here is like Justin Jefferson has now surpassed kind of the expectation for what he was supposed to do as a rookie as yeah. a first round pick, mind you, he has now reached kind of the steel territory. And I, I made mean, it's kind of like a stupid comment about this on Twitter that like, it's hard to get, 
you know, a steal in the first round. But I think the Vikings did it. And what I mean by that is that when you watch Jerry Judy play, and I think every single person, myself included, I think you probably as well, everyone listening to this show, thought that Jerry Judy was the better, better prospect than Justin yeah. Jefferson. Now, watching them play both in the same day, um, you know, I don't think the defenses were – considerably more challenging one or the other. I don't think Kansas City's defense is Kansas that great. Defense is good. Right. So my point being is seeing them within like a three-hour span, it's it, we've reached the territory now where we're speaking of Justin Jefferson. Like, why didn't anyone not see that he is arguably the best in the entire draft? Yeah. I mean, I think people just over-evaluated him. Like, yeah, like you saw the senior year and how LSU in particular put him in the oh, slot yeah. Yeah. all the time. And they're like, well, this is a slot guy. So how valuable is a slot guy, you know? Um, not considering the fact that he had the, the skill set, the intangibles to go outside and be a full-time uh, X receiver. Right. So, uh, and, and I was one of those people, I had kind of knocked him down my list. And I think I'm not alone there where you well, know, we I all had... looked for the issues, right? We tried to find the concerns and honestly, what, you're going to find concerns with every prospect for the most part, right? How apparent they are is kind of the, the determining factor of how good that rookie season is going to go. Yeah. And let's be real here. Justin Jefferson has covered up basically every issue that we have presented for oh, yeah. his, you know, his rookie's campaign. I mean, he my wins biggest off of the, he wins off the line, right? I think that right. might have been the biggest. My biggest concern, concern was, was press, press coverage, getting yep. some sort of space, and literally, like he does it every afternoon on every route. It's not just like he pops up on a good route here and there. He's playing every route at a very, very high level, and it's, it, it's, it, it's ridiculous because you feel fortunate, right? Like as a fan, like you get this guy hopefully for the next decade and yeah well and the thing and about he probably didn't deserve them based off of what know. we know now about these receivers in this class right and the the thing is like for the longest time i've been on the side like the vikings should not have traded Stefan Diggs. Right. dumb deal to give away a star receiver like that like even if he wanted out like you gotta you know he's the better i guess guy for the future right you want to focus on keeping your your two-star receivers or most valuable positions on your team outside of quarterback, of course. But now you could you look back at it and you get Justin Jefferson out of the deal. You get all these picks with it as well. Jefferson is this far advanced already in his career. Like I, I think Would you it's have a, it's a rather true have with the contract involved. The, right. And then the, the analysts contract, the money saved. Yep. They were making that they're kind of making that comparison now. I mean, we're in week twelve. We can start to talk about Justin Jefferson as not just a rookie guy that's a flash in the pan anymore. He's doing this consistently. So you start I, I the, the broadcasters were talking about just the idea that you're paying Stefan Diggs all this money. You know, the Vikings were paying him all this money. Now, of course, that shifts to Buffalo. Now they're paying Justin Jefferson, a rookie first round pick, you know, late first round pick salary um, to get maybe something better. Uh, and I'm not yeah. saying he's a better player than Stefan Diggs. Yeah, I'm I won't go there either, but it's. I'm definitely it's the, saying the Vikings yeah. are using him better than they used Stefan Diggs the yes, last two did. years. They are. Yep. So and that, that was something that. Diggs always – I mean, that was always frustrating for me was Diggs not getting the targets and starting to, anyway, now give Jefferson the adequate amount of targets that he deserves. Someone of his caliber should be getting to take advantage of defenses. So that's good to see. That's a great sign. And, I mean, Thielen and, and Jefferson together, it's it's already way better than, you know, we expect it to be in two to three years when Jefferson has kind of matured into the NFL. And so that's a big reason why the Vikings are humming along offensively the way they are. And he's saving Kirk Cousins' tail – on a lot of these plays where Kirk kind of is giving him chances. And I, I applaud Kirk for doing that. Like that's one of the things that frustrates a lot of fans, myself included, is he just doesn't trust his guys one-on-one -on -one a lot, but he's doing that more with Jefferson. Jefferson's making it, making it pay off. You know, he's making those contested catches down the field 
Um, so that's, you know, now Kirk's building that trust and you will see that more, I would assume down the stretch here. Absolutely. So between the two of them, Jefferson, 12 targets, Thielen, 11, that's 23 of uh, the pass attempts for Kirk yep. Cousins is 42. Um, I'd be okay with that number even going up a little bit. He completed 17 of those passes. So nearly, you know, a 70% clip, uh, two touchdowns, all just a hair shy of 200 yards. You know, amp that up a little bit. You could target the two of those guys 12, 15 times a piece, and I'd be mm-hmm. cool with it. You don't need to spread the round, like spread the ball around. You don't need to spread it around too much because you got two absolute studs and they're proving it week in and week out. Right. So um, that being said, let's shift over to the defense here because I do think there are some notable moments for the defense in this game. Um, yeah. There's because, three guys I really want to talk about, but let's start with Cam first Dantzler, of all, yeah, because, yeah, 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 Cam Dantzler. Best game of his career the, by a long way. Absolutely. And this is also, this is a projection game too. This isn't just like, um, I, I texted my, I texted my buddy during this game. Cause I was saying, okay, uh, is this a breakout game for Cameron Dancer? And I think the argument there is like, okay, maybe you need to see a little bit more because he's been okay before. Um, and maybe this is just a flash in the pan type thing. You got to see it a couple more weeks before it really becomes, you know, a breakout month for this guy. Um, and you look at kind of what you saw from him yesterday. And it's, it's a lot of things that pop out things that translate, you know, immediately instincts for one is the one thing that I is kind of the major you know being around the ball it's impossible to project that there's no good number for it but there's some guys that just are around the ball more than others or seem to know how to pop it loose more than others you know Charles Tillman is probably the most shining example of this of just being a guy who always seems to have his hand on the ball and it always seems to come loose I'm not saying Cameron Dantzler is like that but the game that he played was peanut Tillman-esque because he was literally there all the time. He's forcing fumbles, recovering them, interceptions at key moments, stepping up when the Vikings needed him to step up. And he's doing all of this within the Zimmer system, which we know takes time, but you're starting to see results now. And that was a full game for Cam Dantzler. He played well from front to back. There wasn't a moment mm-hmm. in that game where I was thinking, this guy looks like a rookie. It looked like he's starting to kind of get to the point where you can trust him at the very least the number two guy. Well, and – Jacksonville's receivers are not bad. Like, you know, we think of Jacksonville as this lowly team that, uh, you know, doesn't have the roster to compete and they don't, but at receiver, they have some guys that can play. Uh, and he was on DJ Chark for a lot of the game, kept him in check at a, you know, very high rate. So that yeah, Cameron Dancer was the one, the top guy I wanted to discuss. Uh, and then one thing too, we should mention is Eric Hendricks, uh, which was, I know, very surprising for all Vikings fans that are paying attention. And, um, suddenly he's not there and you're relying on Todd Davis to come in and, you know, right away you saw, okay, well, and then Glennon marches them down the field, they score. You're thinking, oh, it's going to be a long day. Uh, but I commend the Vikings defense. I commend Mike Zimmer for covering that up as they did to, you know, I thought the defense played pretty darn well after that, uh, limiting things, uh, forcing field goals. Um, of course, they got a lot more pressure down the stretch of that game. And Fabio Denebo had a great day getting to Mike Glennon. So, uh, the defense overall was pretty pretty well done, despite not having Eric Kendricks there as they have all season. Seventeen points. I mean, that's not bad. Right. You'll right. That. Yeah. So uh, overall, yeah, you can't ask for a ton more from the defense. Uh, you know, given how young, inexperienced the roster is, um, and, and you know, again, Fadio Denebo, great day getting the. I think yep. he had eight or nine pressures. Um, and then how about this Brailford? Uh, didn't even hadn't even heard of the name, but he comes in with I think two of the most important plays of the game. Yeah. He was in on the safety. He had the fumble forced. A uh, couple of big plays for him too. Yeah, 
He, uh, I don't, I still don't know who that is for what it's worth. I, I see, I see the name, the box score, just like you all. And the number uh, 67, which is hideous to look at for a defensive player. Yeah. I know nothing. I know nothing else about him, but I think the Kendricks point um, is important here too. Um, the, uh, the broadcasters were talking about kind of like the, the shock value and that the Vikings may have just been like shocked. I don't ever buy that narrative. I think it's really stupid because I don't think anyone's shocked by an injury especially in this industry. I mean, every, players get hurt all the time. Oh, yeah. This isn't shock. This was a, a failure to adjust immediately, which, like you said, the Vikings were able to kind of figure out, and Mike Zimmer was to, able to kind of, you know, identify the issues that were presenting itself without Eric Hendricks in the lineup and basically, for the most part, figure it out. Now, long-term, obviously, I want to know more about what's going on there. Uh, it's concerning, um, especially because you feel like you need that guy to beat a team like Tampa yeah. Bay. Oh, yeah. You can get away with it against Jacksonville. You can't against these, you know, Tampa Bay and New Orleans who are coming up here. So that's quite, that's that makes me nervous. But I'm sure we'll know more later on this week and kind of, you know, we can talk about that more at that point. Uh, the Odenigbo point um, can kind of, you know, we can extend that even further now because, you know, he, he's kind of got his own little storyline going on this season, right? Um, we thought he was going to be the starter coming into the regular season, well, coming into the quote preseason. Um, they trade for Yannick Ngakwe. Um, mm-hmm. He kind of throws a, like a very minor tantrum um, and doesn't really get what he wants. By tantrum, um, you mean like sends a couple of one of those – couple of digs tweets? Dig tweets, yes. Kind of like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You just kind of say some things that people social can take media the way tantrum. they want. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, he, does, he does that shtick. Um, doesn't – nothing comes out of it. Um, he gets, you know, sparing playing time. And then they trade Ngakwe. He gets his job back um, and – we kind of questioned, like, does he deserve his job back? Did he play well enough in his, you know, t- in his time spent to, to be a starter? And I think we've gotten the answer now because, you know, to be a starter in the league, you don't need to be Everson Griffin. You don't need to be, you know, Ray Edwards. You just got to be good enough, right? You got to be good enough to hold your ground. And so I think he's accomplished that feat in the last three weeks. And I think this week he's adding value now, right? This is a big time moment to get that safety. That flip the field, um, you know, it gives you two points on the board to extend the to lead. I believe at that point it was there. The Vikings were up by three, so it became a two. You know, became a not just a field goal game anymore. It became, yep. you know, a touchdown game. Um, so that's that's huge. And same can be said for Cameron Dancer, by the way. The interception you know, stopped right. the bleeding immediately, and then later on the fumble recovery. That was a turning point for the defense. For sure, felt like absolutely. So you know, you can say the same thing about him as well. But Odenibo came up huge for this team. Um, and, you know, as a whole, I think that you're right. Like, timeliness was kind of a theme for this defense. Um, when the offense was, you know, putzing around, not getting anything done, the defense kind of came up with the big big enough place right. um, to get this thing done. And this isn't just Dantzler and Odenigbo. This is Harrison Smith in overtime as well. I mean, I think there was a moment for all of us where we all felt like, you know, when the Vikings went, you know, three and out, three and backward um, in yeah. overtime that this game was going to go the wrong way. Um, Harrison Smith steps in and, you know, kind of – Gives us, you know, also us- great. By the way, special teams was good in overtime. We have to give them that. I mean, they got the punt that's that they were backed up deep in in their own territory there to to they, based well, they on the offense. That first possession, nothing really the field changed. Position, Dan Chizina made a tackle, which that well, doesn't that, happen. Yeah, that made a tackle and pinned the Jags deep, and then of course the Smith interception that you're talking about. Right. So, um, I I think that you got enough to win. This, this defense, if, if you get this defensive output every week, it's going to win a lot of games. Um, I don't think you can get this defensive output against, you know, quarterbacks not named Mike Glennon because he, he you know, 
most quarterbacks probably don't throw an interception to Harrison Smith. I think that's a bottom tier quarterback interception yeah. right there. Um, so yes, the Vikings had a lot of bones thrown their way. And yes, it's also true that they made a lot of splash plays that were, you know, important against any professional football player, right? It doesn't, the game is the, still the game. That's a John Madden quote, but like, it's still like, you still got to play the guy that's in front of you. And yes, the Jaguars suck. Yes. I was very disappointed in the way the Vikings played, but ultimately, ultimately we're all going to forget about this game, but we're not going to forget that they got to 500 this week. So you did enough. And to me, the defense did more than enough because they covered up some of the holes that, you know, along with Kirk Cousins that the Vikings dug for themselves throughout this game. Defense definitely outplayed the offense, which I didn't see coming. Uh, you know, at kickoff and Eric Hendricks was ruled out. Uh, but you know, you take away the pick six and you take away the fumble at the goal line, and you give that's potentially what a fourteen point swing there in this game because you give you give the Jaguars a touchdown, you take away potentially a touchdown for the Vikings there. So Vikings outplayed the Jags, but it's just backbreaking mistakes uh, that kind of kept Jacksonville in this game. So I mean, overall, you know. You don't love the way the Vikings played. It was ugly, but they won. And it has to be better against Tampa Bay, but they're in position right now, and technically they go to Lambeau in the wild card round if the playoffs were to you know commence or begin starting today. So let's we kind of get talk to that point. That. Let's, yeah. let's, let's get into that now. I think Actually, well, before we do that, one more, one more point I want to make. Before regulation ended, when the Vikings were marching down trying to set up a Dan Bailey field goal, it was the third down – and like one, I believe, right? The Vikings could have, I think they had a timeout left in like 20 something seconds. Kubiak dials up a deep shot down the right sideline uh-huh. for Adam Thielen, which I believe was contested really well, maybe double covered, incomplete. There's still 19 seconds left or so on the clock when there's no reason, right? No reason to give Jacksonville any time right there. You run the ball. If you get your first down, great. If not, it's fourth down. You stop the clock with three seconds left. You kick the field goal. Right. That is one point I wanted to make. That is the most insane coaching blunder decision I have seen from the Vikings in a while. And there has been some challenges that I've questioned. There has been some right. mistakes I've seen. That was unbelievable to me. So just wanted to point that out. The timeout is what got me there. I, the, yeah. the timeout pissed me off. because. Well, yeah. You could have. The, the, the game it. management that final thirty seconds, yeah. just as a whole, was just not good. The Vikings did, you know. Again, if Dan Bailey misses that field goal and this becomes a tie situation, or Jacksonville goes down and win, we're raising hell because everything right. went wrong. The Vikings did so many things to if try. If Laughlin makes that kick at the end of regulation, we're only talking about this. What I'm bringing right. up right now. That's and it's the only o- thing we're it's talking. It's over. About. It's over. Yeah. Like you know. This, they did not play a good enough football game to beat, like you said, 30 other teams in this league. Hell, they probably couldn't have beat themselves if they played like this like yesterday um, because that wasn't good enough. But my, my point here is that, like, we know what the Vikings are enough to kind of float away some of these mistakes. Like, yes, I'm still concerned about the late game black, you know, back-breaking turnover by Kirk Cousins. That hasn't changed. You added a little bit of fodder to that yesterday, I suppose. Um, but I still trust the Vikings to be better than this in terms of the turnover battle. Um, mm-hmm. I think they'll win that more often than not. Um, and there's some good things here as well. But really the main thing here is the fact that they put the tally in the win column. That That's all that matters because you get to 500, and like you said, you get to the seventh seed, and we've reached this point now where we can start to project 
you know, we can feel comfortable in projecting this team in December. You got four games to play. You know exactly what you need to do to get there. The question is, is how confident are you? So Drew set up this poll on Twitter and, you know, why don't you explain that to us and break down the results? Yeah. Yeah. So I just, you know, asked our followers, um, you know, where do the Vikings end up when it's all said and done after week 17, you know, with the options being they win the NFC North, which is still possible. They are, uh, what, three games behind the Packers. So it would take something kind of nuts for that to happen. But, um, you know, only 6% of people think that's that going to happen, which I commend their optimism. Uh, but a five or six seed, 10% said that. Uh, the seven seeds, 38%. And then 46%, the, uh, nearly the majority, said out of the playoffs for the Vikings at the end of the season. So still not a lot of optimism surrounding the Vikings' playoff chances uh, the rest of the season, even though they are currently in the seven seed right now, which is a little bit surprising. But uh, I know this Vikings fan base can be a little uh, – uh, pessimistic at times and I'm guilty of it as well but uh, I do I mean again it's worth pointing out that the Cardinals are free falling right now if there wasn't if they hadn't converted that Hail Mary at the end of the Buffalo game right they would have five straight losses right now uh, and their remaining schedule goes at the Giants who by the way are playing really well just beat Seattle uh, then they play Philly uh, the Niners and then the Rams once again uh, so Cardinals schedule is not exactly easy. I would say it's very comparable to the difficulty the Vikings have coming up. It's possible that the Vikings can go two and two the rest of the way and still have that seven seed in my opinion. Right. Right. Um, so let's take a look at this playoff picture before we give you kind of our perception of where we stand. Right. Um, Saints are up top at 10 and two. We're speaking strictly of the NS- NFC, of course, uh, Packers at, Second, nine and three. Rams, eight and four, coming off that win over Arizona. The Giants, like you said, coming off that win over Seattle at five and seven or the four seed. Um, Seattle drops uh, to the five seed with their loss. Uh, they are now the first wild card team at eight and four. Tampa Bay, seven and five, also a wild card team. And then your Minnesota Vikings, the number seven seed, the new number seven seed, I should say, at six and six. Now, the teams that are right around them, quote, what the Vikings were last week in the hunt, as everyone loves to say. Um, are the Cardinals at six and six coming off that loss, the San Francisco 49ers at five and six and the free falling bears who have basically gotten themselves out of the playoff picture by way of one of the most depressing losses I've ever seen um, this past weekend against Detroit, both those teams stand at five and seven. So really you're looking at the teams that you can kind of climb on and the teams that might over kind of pass you. And that's San Francisco, Arizona and Tampa Bay, as far as I'm concerned, because the Vikings lost to Seattle earlier this season. So, to me, the best they could do is the sixth seed. That's the most um, – it, it's possible, it's plausible, it's logical. I, I mean, can if they beat Tampa Bay that. next week, they will be in the sixth seed. That's my point. I can get behind the claim of they might be the sixth seed. Um, anything above that, I can't do because it's just not going to happen. It's not it, – I can't get behind – you know, as a fan, I can be excited and say, yeah, okay, maybe they have a shot. Uh, no, I, I just – no, I don't think so objectively the six is the best thing that they can do for themselves as far as I'm concerned. So that takes beating Tampa Bay next, that next week, which we'll break down further. But um, early in this week, my, I am inclined to say they'll probably lose that game. Um, so I'm thinking that the two real options are seven seed barely squeaking in or out. Um, and right now kind of on the high that I am with this, you know, winning five out of the last six, I'm going to say they're going to get in because you got four games remaining. There's not that much season left. It's, it's just December, right? Um, December And entering December, the Vikings look mostly very good. You know, try to phase out the bad moments and just remember that they won yesterday. They've been mostly pretty good for about five weeks now. 
Um, there's been significant improvement from the young players, you know, Gladney and Dantzler especially. I mean, obviously, Justin Jefferson. You're getting a ton of contributions you weren't expecting to get from guys like Odenigbo. Um, you know, there are other pieces in the inside that have, you know, every, every once in a while have shown up too. Um, Eric Wilson, of course. You know, there's – you're here. Like, you know kind of what these teams are. Um, are there still questions to answer about the Vikings and the Cardinals? Yes. But I think for the most part we can judge who they are um, and who's more likely to get there. Um, and I think right now the Vikings probably have the inside track. So I would lean that they're going to be a playoff team. But I'll be very concerned in just two weeks here, you know, if they lose the next two. They're basically, in my mind, you know, you hand oh, yeah. it back over to Arizona and it's over. So oh, yeah. things can swing real quick here, but I am inclined to say that they're going to get in at this point. That's where I would have voted in the poll. Well, see, yeah, because, I mean, two-year games are against Chicago and Detroit who, I mean – and we said this before, right? They should win some of these games, and then they end up not doing so. It's happened uh, a couple times this year, but yeah, and it almost happened again this weekend. So, you know that that type of argument is almost worthless. But I, I with you know, considering everything, I feel like the schedules are pretty similar. Um, where you know the the Cardinals yet have to go to and play the Rams at their place, and Rams are looking pretty darn good right now. Uh, and so, and again, they have the Giants who are playing pretty well. They got to play Philly and then the Niners who are also still in it as well. So, uh, a little concerned about the Niners. I think they, now, they make Monday me a night, if, they, if they beat Buffalo tonight. Um, now yeah. those listening to this will have the answer to that by the time the show is up, but, um, the bills could effectively, I shouldn't say eliminate them, but they could definitely help us out by being the Niners tonight. But sure. I mean, the Vikings are somehow some way they're in the driver's seat control their own destiny for actually a six seed right now and potentially more than that uh so we're you know the Vikings are there i i'm gonna if i had, was betting if it was my life you know a life or death situation i'd bet on them not making the playoffs uh but i i'm i'm gonna it's you know you, you gotta keep, to be here it's, it's fun it's fun to have this discussion and you know the in the hunt type of thing although the vikings are technically not in the hunt anymore based on those playoff pictures so that's kind of the end of the end of an era it but, makes me uh, smile. I love it so much. I love like the stupid media, like like things that just they do no matter what every year. Oh, I yeah. love in, in the, the hunt. hunt. I, I love the playoff picture. Well, especially love, when it's like week seventeen and there's a team that's like six and eight. They need like fourteen <laughs> games to go their way, and six, it's like eight, in the hunt. Yeah, they're six, eight, and one. They need the Raiders to lose at home to the Rams. They need the Bills to win yeah. by four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's like a Tim Kirchin stat mixed into a playoff picture. It's great. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly – I'm just excited to be here. Like, it's one of those situations where it's like, you know, I have um, I have very little confidence. I have very little arrogance. Um, I'm just happy that the Vikings are in this thing in December. And, yes, like I just said, this thing will – this whole thing can come down – come tumbling down in the next two weeks, um, and it will be all for naught and will be kind of, you know, a typical Minnesota sports situation. But um, – the point is, is that we have the shot, and we didn't think we were going to get the shot. Oh, early. absolutely not. So, absolutely not. And that, for that reason, I'm really happy. Um, and I do think that the Vikings have a legitimate shot, too. I think that's part of it here, too. It's not just hope. Um, I really do think that they can beat, you know, Tampa Bay. Um, I, you know, am I ready to project that this game is going to be a win for the Vikings? No. I, I want to see the injury reports. I want to see a lot of different things before I really feel comfortable with making that assertion. But I think it's plausible. And I think they have, you know, lended reason to believe that they can. And Tampa Bay, on the flip side, you know, they've also lended reason to believe that they're vulnerable. So, oh yeah. Um, it, now it, the problem it, is this is not a primetime game, so that could be reason to 
you know, have less confidence because Brady's been terrible in prime time. Like Kirk has this reputation being bad in prime time. Kirk has been, or excuse me, Brady has been terrible lately in prime time. But unfortunately this is your uh, afternoon, I think three thirty slot for Fox. But um, anyway, I, I do think Brady is the type of quarterback that Zimmer could take advantage of. Like they're not very mobile System. has clear, has very clear tendencies. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Uh, the Zimmer versus Arians kind of matchup is very, very fun to look at. Also the Brady versus Arians matchup is kind of fun to think about too. Um, yeah, that because too. <laughs> I feel like, you know, when you bring that up now, like the fact that Zimmer is like the type of defensive coordinator who could split, you know, an offense that is like thinking one way is better than the other because he can, implement a system and kind of foil your your best plan right like that's what he's done best for his entire career and he's innovative and coming up with random solutions on the fly i this might be if the vikings win this this might be kind of the explosion game for arians versus brady that's been sort of developing um just something to think about and something to kind of turn our news cycle here in minnesota as we gear up for a potential to be Mm -hmm. above 500 and you know deeper in this playoff picture with you know a, a feasible path here that i guess you know none of us thought um, was possible even three weeks ago, probably maybe even two weeks ago against Dallas. I didn't really think we'd be here either. So um, it's not, it's just nice to be here. I, I stand by that. So um, with that being said, uh, is, do you have any final closing thoughts for me? Anything that we didn't cover throughout the, the show here that you'd like to get in quick before we close things uh, down? Not really. Just other than that, uh, go bills, right? Bills mafia tonight. Yep. Hopefully that turns out for us. Absolutely. And uh, definitely fire Marwin, by the way, uh, special teams coordinator. Why does he still have a job? Don't get it. Still confused. Uh, wondering the one why. thing that was going well, special teams wise, was Dan Bailey making kicks, and now we can't rely on that. So and exactly, that might not be his fault, but we're we have a scapegoat now. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm get rid of him. He's got to go. Just say goodbye. I'm. I'm done. So uh, I'm going to say goodbye now. Uh, thank you as always for listening to the show. Uh, we appreciate that. You can find us on iTunes, Google Stitcher. Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we're also available on YouTube as well if you prefer to watch um, the show. And Drew and I talk on a Zoom meeting, basically. Um, and then uh, you can find us on Daily Norseman as well. Make sure to check that out. Um, the rest of the Climb in the Pocket team post their stuff there as well. So you can find that stuff there too. So uh, thanks as always for listening. And we will catch you guys later on this week. Oh.